Some of you do that. You've told me that you do that sometimes. So, uh, so uh, anyway, um, yeah, I want to say thank you to uh, everybody who participated, sent a card, sent a greeting, sent a word uh, with the event on Saturday. Uh, you guys, you guys knocked it out of the park. I mean, other than the fact that we had a tropical storm going on and uh, probably some people opted to stay in as a result of that, uh, uh, it was was absolutely uh, incredible. So thank you uh, to everybody who participated in the – it's hard to accept in some ways the type of honor, but uh, I do, and I'm grateful. 
Uh, and uh, those in the background, especially the one leading the charge, wow. That's all I can say. It's just wow. Uh, and in fact, I got a message yesterday from somebody that was on their way to DC and happened to run into Senator Collins, uh, and talked to her somebody that would actually probably know her and talked to her and said, uh, thank you for uh, honoring our pastor the way that you did. So, uh, just wow. That's all I can say. So thank you. And, uh, Fran commenting here in the comments, I put the comments up so you can see them, um, just saying that uh, that son of yours hit a hit a home run Saturday and uh, uh, able to have Kyle be here. That's our uh, army son, and uh, he was able to be here on Saturday for for the event and presented a flag that had flown over the Capitol and uh, uh, certificate um, an acknowledgement. Uh, from Senator Collins. And uh, so anyway, just thank you all. I, I just was totally blown away uh, for that. In case you're wondering if you're listening later or aren't a part of the Veracity Chapel family, they, they had an event to say thanks for our 13 to 14 years of service at uh, at Veracity. And uh, uh, still part of the family, but uh, obviously, as you know, uh, engaged in lots of things. Uh, in, in other places now, I'll be up in, in Dyer Brook on Saturday, which is up by Holton, and then over at uh, Cross Point Church on Sunday. Uh, tomorrow, I'll be down in Portland, and uh, all kinds of things going on. So I appreciate your prayers as we as we uh, really go after all that God wants to see happen here in the state of Maine. We're not here for me, though. We're here for the scriptures. We're here. We spend time together, loving on each other, growing together, and uh, we're here to look at God's word. So we're going to jump back in. This is now part three of Philippians chapter two. So let me get us into this. Uh, so Paul says, therefore, dear friends, as you voice obeyed not only in my presence, now much more my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, I may have talked about this. Some of this might be a little bit of recap for us, uh, but that's okay. Paul's saying, you know, don't just don't just uh, do what you do when I'm here. Uh, to impress me, you know, do what you do when I'm not around, so that. Uh, Others might be encouraged so that you might demonstrate that you are the real deal, that you're not just doing what you're doing, a show. And sometimes Christians, we do that, don't we? We'll put on the show. We'll put on the go-to-church show sometimes. And, you know, we go to go to church and, and act all that, and uh, sometimes we're actually not all that. Sometimes we're, we're scoundrels. Sometimes we are lots of other things. Um, so as Paul says here, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not only when I'm present, but when I'm absent. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is the Lord always has his eyes upon us, always looking at us. Uh, it shouldn't just be that when we're trying to impress people, but, and, and not that we can ever impress God because we can't, 
but to remember that his eyes are the eyes that are upon us and that that would be what we'd be thinking about. And he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This isn't work for your salvation. Uh, this is work out your salvation. Uh, and and the idea here is, is really the idea of, of, of live it out, uh, make it, Make it real, make it clear, make it evident that uh, that you are uh, all that God wants you to be. Uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? Because we fear the Lord. Why fear and trembling? Because we understand how holy he is and how utterly unholy we we, we are, uh, or in fact, holy that we are not. So we work it out with, sal- with work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what does it mean to work it out? Live it out. Let it be evident. Uh, let it be something that's a part of our daily life, not something that is just um, something that is an occasional habit on Sundays only, but to work it out all the time, remembering that it's God that we serve. But then it says this, not only does it say to work out in verse 12 our salvation with fear and trembling, the idea of, of working it, living it, like like kneading bread, pressing, pressing, the, pressing the dough, pressing it all together, and the idea of kneading bread in that type of a way, um, making sure that, that all the ingredients are mixed together in that way, work out, continue kneading, not kneading like N-E-E-D-I-N-G, but kneading as you would knead bread dough. Uh, work it out in that way. But then it says, we're not doing this alone. For it's God who works in you to act, to will and to act according to his good purpose. It is the Holy Spirit who is working in us to enable us, to help us to be all that God wants us to be. We're not working alone. In fact, when you go back to chapter 1 and in verse 6, we're reminded of this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. God is at work in you and in me to uh, to make us all that we're supposed to be, all that we're intended to be in Christ. God is doing his work within you and within me. So when he tells us in verse 12 here to work out your salvation, we don't do this alone. We do it with the help of God. He is working in us. We, we can't live it on our own. We need the work of God. We need the work of the Holy Spirit within us, within our thoughts, within our hearts, to enable us to live out who we're meant to be in Christ. And in verse, four, verse 14, oh my, look at this. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, uh, in our lives, I think what we'd like to do is take the word everything and make it in like a five-point font. 
almost something that, that you can't quite make out. You know, I'll leave everything in normal font, but we put everything in a, in a very small font. Uh, but Paul emphasizes do everything without complaining or arguing. So if this is a command from God, how, how do we do it at this? How much do we complain? How much do, so there's two things. We complain about problems. We complain about the weather. We complain about, uh, all kinds of things. What do you have to complain about? And maybe there are things that we'd like to complain about, but Paul says do everything without complaining. But then he goes to another level. Complaining can be a personal thing, but then arguing now engages other people. Look at what it says here. Do everything without complaining or arguing. You know, we want to argue with people. Uh, we want to argue with our spouse. We want to argue with our neighbor. We want to argue with somebody in, on Facebook. We want to argue... Politically, we want to argue in the church. We want to argue in the grocery store. We want to argue uh, uh, over an online purchase. We want to argue. But Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing. This is a tall order. So my question is, how many others of us, perhaps, really struggle with this one? How many others wish that this one maybe wasn't even in the Bible? Because we like to complain. Some of us are, are bent on complaining. Some of us are bent on arguing. What about you? I mean, if, if we were to grade it from zero, I, I, I never complain, to five, I complain all the time, where would you place yourself on the scale? Or what about arguing? Now, some of us might complain, but we might not argue. No, we don't like to get in it with other people. Some people love to argue with other people. Where would you place yourself on that scale from zero being I, I'm not really argumentative to five? Yes, I argue with people all the time. But yet the scripture instructs us if we will be like Christ, we do what we do without complaining, without arguing. And then he says, so that you may become blameless and pure. Notice that, that blamelessness and purity is uh, proportional to complaining and arguing. If we are bent to complain and bent to argue, then we are further away from blamelessness and we are further away from purity. However, if we can learn to not complain, if we can learn to not argue, then we will be more blameless, more pure. We'll we'll, we'll grow into the blamelessness and purity that God wants for us. And then it says, Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Let me ask a question. Do you do you think you shine like a star in the universe? That's a question. Um, is that you? Would you say that people look at you and go, there, there's a light of Christ right there? Um and I know sometimes we shine and sometimes we're rather dark. And I don't want to pretend there's not darkness in the human soul. There is. Certainly is. Uh, I don't want to pretend that everything in, e- in life is easy. It certainly is not. <clears throat> it's like I told somebody a little over a week ago. I said, 
Uh, it, it isn't when everything is going well that people get to see your Christianity in action. It's when everything is not going well that people get to see your Christianity in action. That's the truth. When, when things are challenging, when things are difficult, when things are hard, um, and, and we handle it with grace, when we handle it with dignity, when we handle it with gratitude, and we handle it with thanksgiving, when we handle it with an upward gaze at God and people see us doing that, that is when we shine like stars in the universe. Now, I do want to just talk for a minute about this idea of the crooked and depraved generation. What does it mean to be depraved? Being depraved <clears throat> means utterly incapable of the goodness of God. Now, there, there can be conversation. A depraved person can do no good thing. Wait a minute. There are people that I know that don't know Christ, which by, uh, by definition, they're depraved. They're without Christ, who do good things. Sometimes Christians get confused and they think, well, if you're not a Christian, you can't do good things. That's not true. I, I know some Christians who do awful things. I know some, some non-Christians who do really good things. Depravity is a state of soul. Depravity is a state of relationship with God. Uh, and a depraved person, even though they do good things, are not going to gain eternal reward for those good things because our eternal reward is not based, or our, our eternal salvation, I'll put it that way, is not based on our works but on God's grace. Now, having said that, I do think that, that it's possible and, and probable that, that there will be reward for those who trust in Christ uh, and do good things. Our, our reward will come from how we build upon life. First Corinthians 3, we've looked at that before. If we build upon things in the, in, in the way that uh, honors the Lord and draws people to Christ, and, and, and it's it's gold and precious metal that we're building with, and not just the the the, the straw and the wood of this world, the temporal things that we give ourselves to, but rather the eternal things that we give ourselves to. Then there will be that reward. But nonetheless, Paul calls it a crooked and depraved generation. We can certainly look around at our world today and say it is crooked, it is depraved, it, 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 it lacks uh, all the goodness of God. In fact, we're, we're moving further, and for, at least in America, moving further and further and further away from God's moral standard all the time. And it's sad, and that's why we need to live the gospel. That's why we need to preach the gospel. That's why we need to proclaim Christ to other people. That's why we need to take our faith seriously. Because as it says here in verse 16, it says, You shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I might boast the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. I mean, I, and I, I would agree with Paul that you know I, I could say the same thing as a minister of the gospel that, if you don't pick up the gauntlet, if you don't pick up the baton, if, if you if you don't take what has been implanted in you 
along the way in your Christian journey by me or someone else and begin to share it with other people uh, and to grow in your walk. And, and, and those of you that listen, you are growing your walk. Then, then I would be like Paul. I would have run and labored for nothing. If there's not spiritual growth, uh, if there is, is, isn't spiritual fruitfulness, then all the work is for nothing. And we all have responsibility to demonstrate that growth uh, in our lives for the glory of God. He goes on and says this. He says, uh, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And what's he talking about? being poured out like a drink offering. I mean, Paul's in prison. Remember this? And so Paul being in prison, uh, he very well could be thinking that, uh, you know, my life will be poured out like a drink offering. I'll be sacrificed. Uh, But what made it worthwhile for him is looking at them and rejoicing in them, rejoicing in their continued faith, rejoicing in their continued growth, rejoicing that they continue to spread the gospel, in that Paul rejoiced. So he says, so you too should be glad to rejoice with me, rejoicing for what God is doing. And I encourage you, rejoice for what God is doing. Be a part of what God is doing. Be a part of what God is doing in your local church, wherever that might be. Uh, be a part uh, of what God is doing uh, at Veracity. Be a part of what God is doing at uh, Calvary Church. Be a part of all that. Now, I want to continue on a little bit further here. And I just want to show you some of the personal connection in this last eight minutes in these last verses so we can maybe get to chapter three tomorrow. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I, also, so that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. Timothy would go, Timothy would come back and give a report of what was happening, and and Paul would be cheered by that. Verse 20 says, I have no one else like him who takes genuine interest in your welfare. I mean, that's quite a statement, that that Timothy takes such genuine interest in the welfare of the Philippians. Now, remember, Timothy had been in Ephesus. Uh, Now, currently... And this this is a reason why some could also think that Paul is in prison from uh, in prison Ephesus. Remember we talked about that early on. Where is Paul in prison? Um, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. What a statement that is uh, about how deeply committed Timothy was. Verse twenty one says, "For everyone looks out for his own interest, not those of Christ." But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son of his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. He longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Uh, indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him uh, only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. 
Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give. I mean, they they wanted to give help. They wanted to give aid to, to Paul, but they didn't have the ability. Now, In this, when I looked at verse 26, it says, he longs for all of you to stress because you heard he was ill. I mean, I, I think of people that I know, people I've experienced in, in Africa, uh, or even people I've experienced here in America that are concerned about what others are thinking, that others are, are concerned for them. They're concerned for others, concerned for them, and don't want people to be burdened uh, and feel badly about the burden sometimes that takes place. And Epaphroditus didn't want people to be concerned about him. And he was distressed. He was very concerned about this. And, and uh, you know, some, sometimes we think, well, all these Bible people, they, they just kind of sailed along in life, just calm and steady. But no, they had concerns. Even Paul talks about having anxiety. He was anxious for the people in Philippi anxious for what they may have been thinking about Epaphroditus. Um, and so he wanted to send Epaphroditus so that they their fears could be allayed uh, and that they would all be encouraged. Now, one other thing I just want to say in this section, to think of these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, that their names made the cut of Scripture. When you think of the, the billions of people that have ever lived and, and think of living in, in a good way, in a godly way, in a way that, that merits um, praise, not worship, but praise that, that, that merits a good word being spoken about you in Scripture, to think that Timothy and Epaphroditus made the cut because of their interest in, in the work of the gospel. Because as, as, as it says in verse 30, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life. I mean, there are people who risk their lives for the gospel and that we would pray for them, that we would not only be impressed with them, but that we would pray for them, for their needs, for their burdens, for their concerns. Verse 29 said, Welcome in the Lord with great joy. Honor men like him that we would honor those people, men and women, serve the Lord in this way, they would welcome them with great joy. Next time you have a missionary at your church, welcome that missionary with great joy uh, and honor that missionary for the life that they live. Well, I'm going to stop there in the text and uh, uh, get you into your day to encourage you to, to live for Christ in all fullness, follow after him, walk close to him, be a, a shining light, shining Jesus to people that you encounter today. Lord, help us with some of the challenging things we read, like do nothing with complaining and arguing. Lord, help us. That's a tall order, Lord. Help us. Help us that we wouldn't argue, that we wouldn't complain, that we'd, rather we'd be people of praise, gratitude, and thanksgiving. 
people who would speak a good word to others. People that would be a, a brilliant beacon of the light of Christ to those around us. Lord, we think today uh, of uh, our friend Steve uh, as he has uh, cataract surgery. Uh, watch over he and Priscilla and their travels this morning on their way to for the surgery. We pray that it, it really is uneventful and uh, accomplishes its intended purpose. There's no complications, so we lift them to you today. We lift friends to you around the world, friends in, in, uh, all over the world, friends in South Sudan, friends in India, uh, friends in Latin America or South America, friends uh, in Europe. Lord, places where there's struggle, friends in Nepal, would you strengthen, would you encourage the believers there as they look to you for your sustenance and for your strength? Lord, hear our prayer for them and for ourselves today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, have a great day. I will see you again tomorrow.